Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place. Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business, to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com. Welcome to Leadership Live at 805. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, the Business Growth Pro and CFO, and also founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday, I'm excited to be here to share um, some insights and some valuable lessons learned that can be helpful for you as a small business owner. Um, each week, we have a special guest, and um, this week, I'm excited to have Mitch here with me this evening. And we're really going to talk about, um, you know, really legal issues around having a small business and things that you need to know as a business owner. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of time to do that, chat about small business. You know, we'll get to know Mitch. He works with a lot of family businesses. He actually runs his own podcast, um, The Accidental Entrepreneur. And also, he's in the process of writing his first book and really talk about 10 ways not to get sued as a business owner. Mitch has a wealth of expertise. Um, you're going to get an hour of his time, which usually costs a whole bunch of money. But tonight, he's taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat with me about small business and what you need to know to be successful in the legal arena. Um, and... You know, you're getting um, his expertise uh, for free. So just because it's free doesn't mean it's not super valuable. It's just an opportunity for you as a business owner. I'm going to invite Mitch to come join us. Hey, Mitch, how are you doing? Hey, Andrew. Good to see you. Okay, great. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm very yeah. excited. You got that great music. You're all got it going on. Hey, I'm just trying to be like you when I grow up. Well, I'm in my home studio today, so you get my closet and my big mic, and I got no backgrounds tonight. But uh, and, I, and you have my older picture up there, so I looked younger, had dark hair, and you know, well, so I appreciate that. Oh well, you know, we got we got to you know <laughs> make each other look good. Absolutely, and, uh, you know, definitely glad to have you here. We've met a little while back. Yeah, way back. Sit yep. down and break some bread. And, you know, talk a little bit about business and some of the key things. And I think one sure. of the important things is we were sort of on the same page about uh, about a lot of things. And a lot of things. I wanted things. to have yep. you on the show because, sure. you know, a lot of things you were saying 
business owners need to know and they need to hear it from uh, from an attorney who's worked with business owners on both sides and, and knows the ins and outs. So sure. um, definitely glad to talk with you about that. Um, I know you haven't been an attorney for your whole life. So Not before we get started, life. just tell us a little bit about your journey. Where are you from? How'd you end up being an attorney? Why'd you end up being an attorney? And you know, what has been uh, an attorney um, done for you and allowed you to be able to do for others? Okay, well, um, I have been, I haven't been an attorney all my life, but I have been an attorney all my career. So uh, if you go back to, I grew up in uh, Northern New Jersey, uh, in Essex County. I lived in Caldwell, went to James Caldwell High School. I graduated, attended Cornell University. And when I was at Cornell, I studied economics, personal financial planning and business. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I, I really didn't want to get an MBA. Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't, I felt a good reader, wasn't very analytical, maybe even was a little undiagnosed dyslexic, but I um, was coming to the end of school and my uh, grandmother, may she rest in peace. And I've said this before on the podcast, people have heard this, um, has had always begged me to go to law school. My uncle went to law school and you should, if no matter what you do with your life, get a law degree and it'll help you with whatever you do. So one night I'm sitting around with a very good friend of mine, Greg, who I still talk to. He's in real estate now. And Greg says, I think I'm going to law school. So I didn't know what I was going to do. We were getting close to graduation or actually the end of junior year. So, you know, we had to start looking into that kind of stuff. So I said, I, I guess I'll go to law school too. So I started looking into it two weeks later. Of course, Greg changed his mind. He wasn't going to law school. And, uh, so I kind of had a crossroad, you know, do I really want to do this or was I just you know, goofing around with Greg and I evaluated it, starting to look into some schools if I could get some funding and loans and I was going to pay for it and um, decided it was a good thing to do. So I went to law school. I attended New York law in Manhattan, Tribeca um, in the days when the World Trade Center still stood. And I studied tax and business and estate planning. And uh, I was surprised that I was really interested in that kind of stuff. And I started, uh, you know, that was three years. So I started my career in law. So it's been, I don't know, the better, more, more than 29 years. I'm probably 29 and a half years in the fall. I guess it'll be 30 years in law. I've worked in house for, um, financial companies, uh, sales organizations, insurance agencies. I've worked for a nationwide insurance company in Columbus, Ohio for a few years, traveled around the country, speaking on many, many business and estate planning topics. And I've kind of settled in with working through financial advisors and through other advisors with small business owners, family owned businesses, partnered businesses, meaning not necessarily solopreneurs, but entrepreneurs and startups and helping them has always been at my heart. It's not, you know, the main crux of my business, but I, I do a lot of stuff. That's really where the podcast comes from, kind of helping people to do things with purpose and not on accident. Um, and you know, that's kind of, kind of where I am now. So I work with business owners to help them to, um, you know, be more purposeful with what they do and how they run their business. Um, we, we, we start a business, maybe we talk to a CPA about getting set up and our, you know, taxes, but nowadays with online stuff, a lot of people go and they, they set up their own LLC and they, and they get started and they miss a lot of the steps and the advice they really should be talking to an attorney when they get started, not 
to a tax person. No offense to all my friends who are CPAs, but you know, that's down the road a little bit when you make some money, maybe they need a bookkeeper to help them get started. But there's really a lot of things they want to do to document, you know, what they're doing, making sure that they have agreements with their partners and agreements that they use customer agreements to work with customers and clients with vendors. And they do things in writing. And that's really where, um, the rubber meets the road, if you will. Um, people skip that step. They were, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs and I, I'm kind of the same way. We're all right brain and we're all creative and we want to, you know, start this business and do the marketing, create the website and make the product and design it. And we skip steps. You know, we don't do the business plan. We don't do the marketing research. We don't test and talk to people and constantly look. And the people that I know that are successful in business, they do that. They may not have a bound business plan, but they have parts of a business plan. They do the market research. They, they're constantly checking and testing and talking to their customers and the potential customers in their marketplace. And they're good with their finances. And if they're not good with their finances, they hire people to do that. So, you know, you get all those parts together and you're going to improve. They're going to guarantee your success, but you're certainly going to improve your chances of success. Hopefully you'll be in the 50% that make it past two years, not in the 50%. Um, that don't. And, uh, you know, I've settled into uh, a solo practice these days. Uh, there was days when I had partners and different, you know, um, partnerships. Um, but I run solo now and I have pretty much a virtual practice. I do a lot of services that are available on my website at a discount where people, if they're willing to put the data in and they need the basic documents just to get started, they can do it for half the price and I'll have them a document to them in 72 hours. It's a more expensive than Zoom, than legal zoom, but they get legal advice and an attorney. This is in New Jersey, of course. Um, and, um, and then, you know, all the other stuff is custom work. Um, so most of my practice is drafting of documents, whether that's trust, the states, business documents, customer agreements, leases, whatever they're doing. And the other half is transactional work. Uh, you're leasing a space, you're buying a business, you're bringing in a partner, you're selling a piece of real estate. You're buying a piece of real estate. All that kind of stuff that comes together. You're selling your business. And um, the, that's that's really the area of, the, of, uh, of my practice. Um, yeah, I think that kind of gets into it. I don't know what else you want me to cover, but uh, I guess we can get into, you know, any questions you have and talk about the podcast if you want. I'm happy to talk about the book. It's going to be called okay. 10 Ways to Get Sued by Anyone and Everyone. It's obviously the opposite of that, but... It's kind of a catchy title to um, with our friend Barry Cohen to get people to hopefully not necessarily read the whole book, but use parts of it as they go along for the different aspects of their business. Excellent. Well, welcome, Mitch. Thanks for introducing yourself. You know, I always like to hear the introductions because I always like to learn more about um, people as well, because even though you know people, sometimes you don't know people. Uh, right. Last week, um, our, our guest on... Um, do the chef and she was saying how when she used to work back with AT&T they let people um, one day out of the year just do any type of training they want so she chose to do um, telephone pole climbing training uh, <laughs> so you know I, I had an uncle who used to who, who did that for a living but you know I, that's so anything in the company, you could switch that day and get trained. Yeah. So 
pretty cool. Right. Pretty yeah. ambitious. Uh, that's what I wouldn't be doing. I'm not I'm going up a telephone pole. <laughs> not at my age. Yeah, just the heights thing does not yeah. work well for me. 30 years but... ago, maybe. Not anymore. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, definitely look forward to kind of getting into the conversation, talking about some key things that small business owners need to know. Um, one thing we were talking about a little bit earlier is, you know, there's one thing that you feel that small business owners and any business owners needs to make sure they do um, whenever they do anything. And what is that? Well, I mean, the, 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 the theme, let's say, right. There's a lot of subcategories of people, the mistakes that they make, but the theme that they always skip is putting things in writing. I constantly run into people that do things on a handshake uh, because, you know, they watched uh, Marcus Lemonis on The Prophet and he does things on a handshake. So, by the way, Marcus Lemonis is extremely rich and loses money all the time because he gets taken on deals. But that's the way he he chooses to, to do business. So people do not document, you know, what they do. Um, they don't, you know, deal with their customers in writing. I constantly see talk to people and they're like, well, you know, I mean, what do I do? Whip out a client agreement. I don't know what to say. And, you know, it seems like so salesy. Well, I mean, if you're going to be in business, it, it, look, either it's a hobby and you're kidding around or you're going to really do this for a living. So, and try and make a go at it. So you got to put on your, my big boy pants, right? So, and you got to figure a way to get comfortable with doing things the right way. Because if you run into a problem and you have a conflict and you got to go to court, you're not going to tell the judge, well, your honor, you know, I mean, we didn't do it in writing because I don't want to seem salesy and, and seem like I was, you know, uncomfortable. The judge is going to be like, well, what do you want me to do? So, you know, you, you have to play by the rules and you want to play by the rules that protect yourself and make it clear to your client that these are the rules. This is how I do business. By the way, a lot of people that feel that way, you know, how do I talk to my people expect you to do business professionally? It doesn't surprise them that you pull out a con you know now you go you go out a con on a contract you pull out a contract you start going over the contract that's how you do business i talk to people all the time and i say listen let me send you a retainer agreement it, sometimes they even pay me ahead of time and i say listen let me just send you a retainer agreement i need it for my ethics and for my files it'll detail all of the way that we do business so there's no surprise that i you know if somebody pays by credit card the charges get added to the credit card or i can withdraw from the, the matter at any time or if they have a problem that and this is my hourly rate. And these are the things that we're going to, you get an initial that I'm going to do. Some things are flat fees. Some things are hourly. So it's very important. And this is where all the problems come from when there are misunderstandings between people when they do business. And, and I don't know, Andrew, you're feeling about it, but the, the biggest problem is that people don't recognize the imperfections of our memory in the book that I'm writing. We're doing a section on memory and the things that people don't remember and do remember why we have such imperfect memories. One of the reasons is we are bombarded with information on a, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. I mean, it just comes past us so quickly. Sometimes you just need a break. And our mind doesn't work like a filing cabinet. I mean, you don't, you don't have an experience and take the experiences of that particular 
um, situation and put it in a folder in your head. And then if you ever need it, you go back to the folder, you pull everything out. That is not the way our minds work. We tend to gather information on a haphazard basis. It goes into our head like a box. It's all mixed together. And as a matter of fact, our mind sometimes confuses things, information that we've gathered and adds it to other experiences. And there've been all kinds of studies like this. There've been studies of, um, you know, a flat, what they call flashbulb moments, like the Challenger blowing up or 9-11 or Kennedy got shot or whatever it happens to be where people's recollections are so off that they're with their friend and the friend goes, I, I wasn't with you. I was in Chicago that day and you were in New York. And, you know, there's a lot of problems that way. And you, we've seen a lot of that stuff uh, go on. So the law treats you like you have a perfect memory, testimony, depositions, eyewitness testimony. And it's so easy to discredit. So if you're in business and you want to avoid problems and you want to keep your business running smoothly, you have to have contracts with your customers, contract with your event. And by the way, they don't have to be 26 page contracts, right? They could be a couple of pages, just something that lays out the rules, vendors, customers, partners, and anybody else you do business with. That's how professionals operate, right? And there are easy ways to do it. You hire a local attorney, whether it's me or someone else, and they do templates for you, things that you can use to operate your business. By the way, you start bringing employees in, then you can Create an employee handbook. Create a letter of understanding. It doesn't necessarily have to be an employment contract. It could be a letter of understanding, but an employee handbook that sets up the rules. Okay. And by the way, the one thing I can say about contracts, the part that's always missing when people do their own contracts, because I, I deal with business owners too, and they're lawyers. They're not practicing lawyers. So they do their own contracts, which is totally a mistake. It's like representing yourself in court. And the part of the contract that's missing, the half of the contract that's missing is what are the rules if we have a disagreement, right? They, they have these contracts, like everything's going to be great. Well, then you don't need a contract. So, you know, do we go to mediation? Do we go to arbitration? Do we sue each other? What's, what's the rules? How do we follow? Do, uh, do we do it in New Jersey? Do we follow laws in other states? You know, whatever it happens to be. If I drafted the contract and there's something ambiguous, a judge is going to hold that against me. So you can put in con uh, clauses that say, don't hold that against me. Don't construe it against my interests necessarily. Judge will do that if you don't, if you were the one who drafted the contract. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into a contract that's left out because I've been doing this for 30 years. You're doing it for the first time. Maybe you draft two or three contracts in your life. I do hundreds of them. So, and so do a lot of attorneys. So that's why you want to get, that's what you're paying for. You know, I charge, uh, you know, 475 an hour. You're paying for 30 years of experience of reading contracts and pulling in clauses, rewriting clauses, doing things and dealing with situations that come up that you, you don't deal with on a regular basis. I do. I know what you're going to lease. I know what you're going to contract. I know what I'm looking for. You'll, you'll spend a lifetime trying to figure that stuff out and you still won't figure it out by the way, because you don't have enough of these situations. So, okay. Mitch, you covered a whole bunch of things, so I want to sort of dissect it a little Let's bit. Let's do it. Um, you know, one thing that I found and a lot of people find as a big surprise is, you know, when you're in business for so, for for yourself and many times you work for people, you don't always get paid. So right. tell me how often you run into that with people. Where I don't get paid? No, or they, where they don't like get paid. Like collection problem? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... First, let me preface this by saying that I am not a collections attorney. Mm -hmm. I negotiate a lot of stuff and I help you with contracts and I try to negotiate that stuff. But if it's got to go to court, 
it goes out to colleagues of mine who do commercial litigation. You got to sue them. Um, but there are some times where it's less money. You got to go to, you know, small claims yourself. Um, but the, you know, it, it's very important when you're dealing with people, if you don't have it in writing in terms of, you know, a client agreement, it's very easy for them to say, well, what, what, we had a phone conversation two weeks ago and you told me there would be X and now you're charging me Y and there's a total misunderstanding and you're going to have trouble trying to collect if you don't have it in writing. As a matter of fact, in uh, most commercial settings, they're going to require a written agreement for in order to be able to sue somebody for services that you owe. Now, you owe. now if you clearly provided services, you probably could come up with some sort of a contract, but the terms of that contract and what you're owed and what it's going to be very difficult. And it's very difficult to string like text messages together and emails together. And by the way, when you write a contract, the contract says, listen, this, um, this illustrates our, this encompasses our entire agreement. Nothing that's said outside of this agreement counts. It's all in writing, right? These are the four corners of what we agreed upon. If we change it, we're going to do it in writing. We're going to sign you know, we're going to sign it together. Um, and so that's right. So that's the problem. So if, if you don't have it in writing and people do come to me like this and they have a bunch of text messages and a bunch of emails, um, you know, you don't leave out the p potential conversation that your friend thinks you had two weeks ago and you, you don't think you had it or you didn't mean that. And he misunderstood you. So that's what creates the problems when it comes to collections and people not paying you. And I, I think most people are good. They don't want to screw you, but they truly believe that they owe X and you think you were owed Y. Okay. And, yeah. you know, one thing I always talk about is, you know, in your agreements, not only do you agree to, you know, it's important to agree to how much it's for, but also right. your scope of work. Because many times... You know, you, you have to be really clear about it because many times they have what's called scope creep where you feel that you're done and your client doesn't. Or right. you feel like you did a good job and your client doesn't. So, you know, having clarity around what the objective is, what the desired result is, what it looks like um, helps both you and your client because they know what to expect better and you um, know what you need to deliver. And when you have completed it and maybe even put in stipulations so that if the scope grows you can either charge more um, or have another way set up to to deal with that what are some of the ways that you help protect people that way well let's talk about their business the 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 most important part is coming is what you said is managing expectations right and a lot of that has to do with having a written agreement. So, you know, we, we have discussions with customers and we talk about X, Y, and Z. And sure, we can do that. We can do this. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure you have things in writing and, and they sign it, right? Don't just give them a sheet. Make sure they sign it and you sign it. And on top of that, if there's any changes or addendums or adjustments or drafts or this or that, you make sure that that you also, um, you know, go over those things and track your changes and, and make sure that you're very transparent. A lot of people get caught up with their work and it, it you know, they lose transparency. Um, it's very common in the construction industry. If you're getting uh, work done in your house or in an office, whatever, 
there's a lot of things that go on on a daily basis. Somebody walks through and goes, oh, well, can we change these switches or these outlets to this or that? Sure, we can do it. And then it's never put in writing. And then the person does it. And then they give them a bill and they go, oh, God, I didn't realize it would this, be this expensive. Well, you know, the builder should have put something in writing and managed um, the um, uh, the expectation of the, of the client. So, you know, that's, okay. that's the most I can tell about that. I mean, I constantly deal with people that they don't have, uh, whatchamacallit, um, they haven't managed the expectation of the client. And as I get into the problem, so let's say I'm brought in now there's a problem, right? I see that right away that the, the you know, the one I'm dealing with an attorney on the other side, the one client says this, their, their client says, well, that wasn't what we agreed upon. And my client says, no, we did. And then we got to try and put the whole thing together. You know, yep. what were the emails? What were this? What were that? And it's always because there's miscommunications and misunderstandings. Okay. So it's sort of like a ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That they used yeah, to there's say. no question about it. And that's definitely a learned skill. You know, I, I think over time you get better at it, dealing with customers, you get more comfortable with it. You you have you come up with a style that's makes it easier for you to you know, bring out a contract and make changes and keep track of that stuff. But that's part of, you know, running a successful business. No, that's great. So one of the things you also talked about was partnership agreements. And, yeah. you know, definitely I've experienced some. And um, I actually wrote a couple of my own, which may not have been a good idea. And, Better than uh, having nothing. Right. And, you know, ended up with still have an agreement with some misunderstandings because you may not come up with every scenario. Right. Um, so when you're writing a partnership agreement or working on with some somebody, what are some of the key things that you try and make sure are covered? Yeah. So this is a common problem with, uh, with partners that I run into there. They want to break up or, um, they want to separate, go their separate ways, and they don't have anything in writing as to what all these issues are. So obviously a partnership agreement or with an LLC, it's called an operating agreement, um, basically sets the rules to run your business, right? So if you are um, the manager of the LLC or the general partner or whatever, in the agreement would say what you're allowed to do, what your responsibilities are, what your powers are to run the business, and what you know, when do you all need to decide and vote on things and agree on things and when can, what you can do, maybe you run the day to day and maybe the big issues you discuss and talk about together. Um, the, the, the other side of it is, unfortunately, you kind of have to put in, well, you know, what if you want to walk away? What if you die? What if you become disabled and so forth? Um, operating agreements would deal with like, if somebody gets sued or somebody become you know, files for bankruptcy, all that type, all that type of stuff. Um, when you get into much more details, the business grows, you probably would break out that portion to a, what we call a buy sell agreement that would be separate from your operating agreement and your operating documents would say, you know, when you have meetings and who keeps records and you know, all that, all that type of stuff. But one of the big problems is not addressed in, well, either agreement I commonly see is things like when, okay, if you separate your business, right, you guys want to, you have a retail store and you also sell online, right? So you want to break up who gets what, what happens. It's almost like a prenuptial agreement, right? Who gets the domain name? Who gets the photographs? Maybe you're in, um, what's a good example that's very um, photographic, uh, a bakery, 
Okay. So you, you're constantly taking pictures of cakes and cookies and, and pies and things that you create because you want it to look palatable. Maybe at a restaurant, you probably do the same thing, right? So who gets the recipes? Who gets the photos of the things that you made on your Instagram account, on your Facebook account, you know, whatever, whatever happens to be. Um, and that's one of the things that I find, especially nowadays, that's overlooked social media accounts. And they get in a lot of fights over who's doing what, because they may be separating and one of them's going to start a restaurant here. One of them's going to start another, their own restaurant and they have their recipes and who, you know, who, who owes what. Um, so that's, that's definitely a big problem when it comes to partnership agreements, the details. But if you go out and you do your own agreement, like I said before, it's better than having um, nothing, but I find that these canned online agreements are just really lacking. I mean, they're just basic agreements. They don't address the major issues of, of how you want to run the business and you can get as, you know, granular as you, as you can. Um, you also want to get into valuation if you're, especially when you start to design the buy sell agreement, you know, what's the business worth when, if you want to walk away, do you get nothing for the first five years? Cause that was your choice. Do you, do you buy insurance on the partners if somebody were to die? I mean, all those types of issues have to be, have to be addressed. Um, but you really want to set the rules for how you're going to run this business. How are you going to get along? Because if you break up and, or you have disagreements or you have conflicts, you have misunderstandings, that's not going to be the time you can draft the agreement. Um, I've been in situations where uh, I think those were more family situations and partnerships that weren't related, but still same thing, right? They start a business together and family it's common. Let's say the, the children take over the business from the dad. He was running the business. So that was a couple of children running the business. And over time, positions develop. One person becomes the president. They're doing a lot of the business development for the business. They're driving this, they're driving that. The kids were all a third, a third, a third. One of them is doing all the work. Two of them are doing less and not coming in all the time and taking two thirds of the profits. So this person who's the president is not too happy about it. Well, he doesn't have an operating agreement in place. How, what leverage does he have? How does he go to his siblings and say, hey, I want to change the deal. I should be getting 70% of the business or 60%. You should each be getting 20. They have a lot of the leverage. So it's important when it comes to, if you're on your own, less of an issue. You probably don't need an operating agreement unless you're borrowing money from a bank or something like that. But beyond that, if you have a partner, get an operating agreement, get a partnership agreement. No, that makes a whole bunch of sense. Um, you also talked a little bit about memory and how yeah. different people's memories can be different. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is also they say that, you know, when you're um, communicating, in words most of the message doesn't get through so right. if you're just hearing words like less than 30 percent of the message really gets through right. so you can't really expect to be able to just do an agreement in words unless you're really dealing with someone you've worked with and you know yeah but other. even that we have arguments and conflicts with our best friends i mean it's just it's not that you're fighting over something. You just remember it one way, and I remember it another way. Yeah, and you know it becomes aggravating for people. And no, that's that's right. And and even you know, I'm a big fan of writing your business plan. Yeah, like, I know you, you are. You can't yeah. have uh, your business plan in your mind because no. you know one, you know, you may not remember it the same every day. 
But even more importantly, you can't improve improve upon it until no. you already have something written. And right. Nor, say, nor oh. do you remember like what you tried and how you did it and the roadmap you're you're on. And yeah, I mean the whole thing. You can't. Yeah, you you need a track to run on. That's what a business plan is all about. And you and I both know it's not the kind of document you draft and put away. It right. is a working document that you use to run your business and are always adjusting and constantly updating. I, I just wanted to say something about about memory because. It's a big part of my book. Um, I've interviewed a bunch of memory experts. And, um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily that things don't get through. They go somewhere, right? But we are, our, you know, our minds are constantly, if you think about it, right? Your head is constantly asking questions. What is that? Why is that color? Why did that person walk by me? What did he say? What is that on my phone? Why is that buzzing? While we're listening to the people that we're having these discussions, right? Our minds don't stop. It, it's just the way our minds work. We're con so as a result of it, the reason you only retain certain percentage of what you talking to, it's because it's being crowded out by the other things in your mind, because you said something that made me think of something has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And then I remember tonight at five o'clock, I got to stop, get something on the way home and you're talking. And then this, you know, you know, this and that, I mean, so look, we're having conversations now. I've lost my train of thought a little bit because I start thinking about other things I want to mention. So, when it comes to memory, now use the example of remember when Brian Williams went on, I think it was David Letterman, and it was the 10 year anniversary of this supposed event that he was involved with, I think in Iraq or Afghanistan. See, I'm not even sure where he was shot at and his helicopter was shot down and they, they almost died. They talked about it. A couple of days later, apparently the pilot of the helicopter and nobody questioned him and his memory later on by the way he recanted and said maybe i didn't remember it right whatever came out and said he wasn't even in our helicopter that day <laughs> when we crashed he was like four helicopters behind us whatever so brian williams and he's a smart guy instead of saying i apologize i'm sorry i must have remembered it wrong they had this whole thing how could you lie to people they had people interviewing them, which, by the way, they could have done their own research on how memory works. They didn't. Instead, they emasculated him. He got taken off of, I think it was the nightly news or NBC. He's now went back on MSNBC. He's doing fine. But if you think about it, he didn't gain any benefit from lying about this incident. It didn't boost his career. You know, It was just an event that they want to talk about. So it's an example of when we have these events, over time, our memories change and mutate and things get stuck th this and that he believed what he was saying so when you deal with customers I'm, i'll bring it back to business right when you deal with customers when you deal with partners when you deal with vendors especially the you you both come together like you said you come together you have a discussion you shake hands great you leave and the world continues to bombard you with information as you're walking away. The agreement that you just made with that person is already changing in your mind and in my mind. And by the time we come back together, whether it's later in the day, a week later, a month later, it's completely different in my mind than in your mind. And you're sure of what we talked about and I'm sure of what we talked about. So you have to run your business. You have to have a business plan in writing. You have to have contracts because it will lead to the failure and the and the degradation, I guess is the right word, of your business. And you and I both know the high level of failure that businesses after two years and five years experience 
a lot of it has to do with the failure to write a written, you know, create a written business plan because you don't can't remember, like you said, what you talked about, where you're going, where you're going to get to and not properly documenting what you're doing. It's all fits together. If you develop the skills and the habits of writing things down, starting with your business plan and working your business plan and how you run your business and an operating agreement and contracts, you, you, you will increase your chances of success tremendously and it will reduce your level of stress. You know, you and I, we don't want to walk around trying to remember everything, right? It's too much pressure. My kids yep. get on my case all the time, right? That the, I they tell me, Dad, would you do this for me? I said, sure. Send me an email. I go, Dad, why do we have to always send you an email? Because it will be in my inbox when I get in the morning, and I will take care of it. I promise you, if you ask me to do this while I'm watching TV right now, drinking a cup of coffee, I will not remember. I love all of you very much, but there's three of you and your wife. We got two dogs and a lot of things that go on. And I walk into a firestorm with clients, and I, you got to do it that way, and they do, okay. you know, and. It's and it frustrates them, but as they get older, they'll realize that the world is bombarding them too. That's the way I operate. So I tell clients, if you want something, customers, email me. I'll have it in my box, and I will deal with it. I'm I'm a big email person too. Yeah. Um, some people are text people. It's important to understand yeah. kind of how to communicate best with people. Texting's um, okay. I don't love it, but I take. So if you send me a text, I got to do something more. I will forward it to my email, so it's in my box. When I get in, in, uh, in all the I got to say is, if you text me, and if I haven't responded within an hour, I'll probably never see it again. <laughs> right, because so, you get a lot of texts. Email, email me, right, uh, if you wanted to get it done. That's what um, I tell people. And you know that comes back to Kimmy's question. She said, you know, how about if you email a contract to a client and ask them to reply and agree via email? Um, does that provide enough clarity and legal protection? I don't think it's been a very litigated area. Um, it's certainly better. I mean, you have an acknowledgement, right, that they have agreed to the contract. So you can attach that to the back of the contract. Would I prefer it to be signed with a witness? Sure. But, you know, I, nowadays it gets I mean, I, I like I like DocuSign where they can acknowledge it and whatever. But it is better if you have their acknowledgement in writing through an email. I, I think that's you're going to be more than protected in terms of enforcing the contract. When they say, I never agreed to that. I didn't sign that. And you say, well, you emailed me on this date after I sent you the contract in reply saying, okay, I agree to its terms. I think that's, I think a judge is going to enforce that. Okay. So it was a good question though. Very good question. I prefer yeah. that than text messages, by the way. Um, we talked a little bit about when and why, you know, some of the things that you should, consult a business attorney on um and you know i know there's a lot of things as far as contracts but what other types of things are are key to you know when do you need to know uh if you're in a situation that when you, you should consult an attorney yes uh, by the way, I want to preface this by saying I've gotten a bunch of texts from my wife and friends about my background. I don't want people to think I work in a closet. I'm at home in my studio and uh, we couldn't get our background to work the virtual background on your on your streaming show. So I'll just uh, say that comment. So um, I, uh, I do have an office and you can meet me in the office, although I do work virtual. So, um, OK, so uh, I totally lost my train of thought. What was your question, Andrew? Okay, we talked about, you know, 
Definitely the legal contracts and right. Oh yeah. When down. should you consult an attorney? Right. Yes. Okay. Good. I'm sorry about that. See, that's the whole thing with memory. That's what I'm talking about. So you should consult an attorney sooner than later. So a lot of people, what they do is they get started in business. You know, they're they're getting a product, they're doing, and they're just like a sole proprietor, right? They haven't set up an entity. They're not. They don't have a name. They they don't know what they're doing. So you should consult a business attorney. You know, at the beginning. So, you know, what kind of documents do you need? Should you have an entity, an LLC, a corporation or something like that that gives you legal protection if you get sued? I constantly talk to people in different industries. Maybe they're maybe they're selling some sort of food product or or they're they're selling some product that people use in a certain way. And they don't think about product liability and they don't think about like, do they need like improve, uh, you know, approval from the from the uh, the board of health? I mean, I've, I've talked to people that are cooking things out of their house, or cookies, uh, wings, things like that. I mean, the board of health is not going to let you just work out of your kitchen. You got, you know, there, there's municipal requirements. So an attorney who's dealt with these situations is going to help you at the beginning to make sure you have the proper insurance, you have the proper structure set up, you're following the rules to protect yourself from liability. Um, maybe you have to reposition your assets a little bit. Maybe it's time to start thinking about, your wills and and your family planning that kind of fits into all this stuff. And some of that'll affect, um, you know, wh uh, what's the, what's the word? Some of, some of it will affect, you know, how you structure the business. Uh, maybe, you know, depending your cousin's going to invest, but it's better to do it through a trust. I don't know. A lot of people don't realize these issues when they get started. They just think it's, you know, Oh, well, I'll do, I, I don't need an attorney right now. We didn't get sued or we didn't have a problem. Well, that's too late. No, that you know. makes makes a lot of sense. You know, also employment law is is a whole, um, you know, another animal. Especially when you have employees, yeah. we're not going to cover that tonight. Um, but in a couple of weeks, I have uh, attorney Alex Rubin, and she sure. focuses on employment law. So we're going to talk yeah. about things that you need to know as a business owner. Yeah, Alex is great. I mean, I I use Alex all the time for clients. I'm like, I do employment light. You know, so if you're, for example, if, and Alex will talk about this when she's on the show, if you're bringing an employee on, you know, it, even the smallest of businesses, you want to make sure that they sign, you know, maybe there's not a non-disclosure issue, but you want to make sure that they don't steal your customers, that they don't steal your intellectual property, anything they learn from the business, that they don't steal employees if they leave and go compete with you. I even have, uh, you know, businesses as small as local hair salons that bring on haircutters and have them sign an agreement that says they won't open up down the street and compete with you. Because if you don't go to the salon because of the salon, you go to this person's cutting your hair or whatever they happen. Well, you don't have that problem. But maybe shaving your face or doing all the grooming and stuff, you're going to then, Andrew, go down the street to your guy that you know. You're not going to stay in the, in the salon. So they want to protect themselves from, you know, from uh, accidentally you know, blowing up their business. And that's common. And by the way, and Alex will cover this too, a little hard to have them sign it after the fact, once they're hired, you're gonna have to give them consideration, a bonus, something to make it binding because the fact that they have to sign it or get fired is not consideration. So, you know, but a lot of people miss that step. They don't protect themselves and protect the business. So okay. you can ask Alex all the questions when she comes on. And, you know, and having an attorney is really about protection but either way you can't protect yourself from everything no or if you did you couldn't afford to be in business right but there's a lot of simple things that you can and should do 
And one of the well, there's a level of reasonableness, right? Have you taken reasonable steps to protect yourself? Have you been reasonable with the people you're dealing with from a business standpoint? Have you been reasonable with how you're dealing with people? So then they say, hey, you were this or that. If you're acting reasonable and you're not acting with malice and you're not defrauding people, you know, that that all helps. And then, it, you, like you said, yeah, it gets to the point where, I mean, you can overinsure your business. You can get crazy. You don't need to do that. Right, right. So that's cool. So now, one of the things that is that can happen is suing people or getting sued. And we have a question from Kimmy on that is, you know, as far as thinking about suing a customer, um, like how often do you go to court for suing or getting sued as opposed to it either getting settled outside of court or just a decision not to go that route. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the percentage is. I, I'm, I'm not a litigator, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't take you to court. I'd send you to somebody if that were the case. I am a confidently, I can say I'm a very good negotiator. I'm pretty good at getting parties to, um, you know, settle their differences. Maybe they're not both happy. Maybe actually, usually neither of them are happy. Then we know we're doing the right thing, but you know, to keep them out of court, I, I can tell you this though. Nobody wins going to court. Nobody wins going to court. You spend a lot of money. Even if you win, you lose. You're not happy about it. The whole thing's an aggravation. And I think your energy would be much better spent settling your matter, moving on. You you, you take your licks. You learn the lesson, right? Everyone, you, Everything's a learning experience. And put your energy into growing your business instead of getting your life taken away from you through the court process, which by the way, is not a fair process. I mean, there's, it takes a long time. It's a lot of money. It's constant media, you know, motion practice and meetings and conference schedule and the judge is busy and this and that. And with very few exceptions, you can get attorney's fees. Even if you win, there's very few exceptions for that. And it's just frustrating for, for both parties. So I, obviously I don't make any money if you go to court. So I'm motivated to get you settled. But I also know that, I mean, it'll tear your life apart, tear your business apart. And it's just, it's usually not worth it. And sometimes you just got to take a hit. Fine. Listen, let's settle on this, move on and go on to your next thing. And it'll cost you less because litigation gets expensive. You can small, a small case can run you 15, 20, 25, $30,000 pretty quickly. Okay. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. That's been my experiences. You want to avoid it. That's uh, almost all costs. You really do. And a lot of that has to do with doing things the right way at the beginning, because then the other attorney says, oh, well, you signed this. I mean, we go to court. We're going to get thrown out. They're going to make a motion to dismiss. And you get out of court real quickly. If you don't have it properly documented, you know, it's 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 a free for all. And then the question is, you know, what are you just going to take a hit or, you know, what are you going to do? And it's just not if not, you're going to pay the piper one way or the other. Right. And I've met anybody's happy with like their oh well that was great when we sued that guy. I've never heard anybody say that. Mm -hmm. So unless it was frivolous and somehow they were right not fraudulent, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, but there's criminals in the world. I mean, there's people that are going to defraud. They don't care. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about honest people that get into situations that they'd like to avoid. So, you know, when you're looking at um, you know a lot of these things, and you know. You know, not just going to court, but, um, you know, what I recommend and you probably the same is, you know, you can't protect against everyone, 
and you can't, you know, just like you can't, you know, if someone's trying to to kill you, you can't protect every second of your life. Right. But what you can do is you deal with people who are on the up and up, and you don't deal with people who, you know, um, who could be shady. Right. Uh, because, um, you know, if they're willing to do things that you're not willing to do, then you're at a disadvantage. But not only that, you want to do business with the right type of people. Yeah, I think um, that's a very good point. Um, I have a guy on my podcast, I think Monday coming up. Um, he wrote a book called Never Go With Your Gut. And I think that it, it, a lot can be said for running your business with certain criteria and processes as to how you onboard a client, as to how you how you evaluate a customer, and not really straying from those principles that you establish, right? The, the kind of person you want to do business with. And because there's a reason that they call them con men, right? If you know that, you probably know this, right? The history of con, con doesn't stand for conflict, by the way. It stands for confidence, right? When, when the, the first person, let's say, or people that were doing these con men, con jobs on people, they were because they could transfer their confidence to people. They could make them be confident in them, and then they took advantage of them. So a lot of it has to do with setting up you know, processes and criteria and things that you follow. So if there's red flags along the way, if the person's not willing to follow your process, if they're not willing to sign your – I say this to people all the time. If the person – well, what if they're not willing to sign my contract? Well, isn't that a red flag right there? If the person's honest and wants to do business with you, they should be more than happy to sign your agreement to protect both their interests and your interests, right? You know, you get people say, oh, you know, you take like, for example, I don't do work without a retainer. If people want to hire me, they pay, pay me a retainer. My minimum retainer is fifteen hundred dollars, even just to look at a contract. Not worth, you know, it's not worth my time to do anything less than that. And, you know, anything gets billed on on top of that. I don't do things without a retainer. When I was young and a little bit naive, very long time ago, um, I had dealt with people that said, you know, oh, I'll send you a retainer. What do you think? I'm not good for the money. That, that's a con man's response, by the way. If anybody is dealing with somebody they think is legitimate and says, what, I'm not good for the money, that has nothing to do with it. First of all, you still have your bills to pay, right? You don't go to PSE&G or your landlord for your office and say, well, I'm good for the money. I just can't pay you right now. You have to pay your bills. So you need to keep your cash flow coming in. Plus, it, it has nothing to do with whether you're good. If you're good for the money, then you pay for the service that you're providing, <laughs> you're getting. Right. There, there's not none, none of this stuff like we do things on a hand. So that's always a, re a red flag. But I think, like you said, if you don't want to get conned, set criteria and processes and follow them. Stick with your rules and say to people, I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult you or anything. That's just the way we do business. And I tell people that all the time. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time. I have rules that I follow and this is the way I do business. And if if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand you're going to have to go find another attorney to work with because I have been burned. I've been burned. I'm not suing somebody for, you know, they owe me a thousand bucks. It costs more of my time to go to court. Now with, with exception, I have gotten pissed before <laughs> people should have paid me. And I did, I filed suits and whatever. And then they get to court. They're like, well, would you take less money? I said, well, I would have, if you called me when at the beginning and you know, we, we work it out, but yeah. I mean, you, you have to, Stick with your rules and be willing to walk away 
from something that just doesn't feel right. Like, why is this person being so difficult? Well, maybe they're always going to be difficult. No, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, definitely this has been a good show. Um, we've got some great questions, a great chat uh, about business, business law, things that you need to know as a business owner and when you need to consult with a business attorney. So, Mitch, right. we covered a lot. What are the key takeaways that someone should walk away with um, after this conversation? Well, first thing is don't do business as a solo, as a sole proprietor. Um, if you're testing the waters, if you're working on a product, you're doing some market research, fine. But if you start to do business, doing business with people, go out and form an LLC. Um, I don't love legal zoom rocket lawyer and all that other stuff i would encourage you to use a local attorney but you can do it online um all the states are online as well you could set up a certificate it's all done very quickly you can get a tax id number so um and even from a tax standpoint or a business standpoint it's a good idea to have a, a separate entity separate business account and you know and your own personal stuff for tax purposes it's a it's a it's a better way to do business so that's the first thing then start putting processes in place. And by the way, let me take a step back. I'm, I'm assuming you already wrote the business plan. I'm sure Andrew was thinking that. So um, you wrote your business plan. You got your business plan. One of the first things is as you start to launch your business from your roadmap, let's call it your roadmap, and it could be as small as one page, um, then you form your entity. Okay. I'm very partial to LLCs, especially in New Jersey. I like them. Other states, there's some obstacles. New York, they do more S-Corps and LLCs because LLCs have some weird publication requirement. I don't know why they don't apply to S-Corps. But um, so you want to talk to a local attorney in the jurisdiction in which you're doing business. Um, form in the state in which you're doing business. For small business owners, you don't need to be like going to Delaware, shopping jurisdictions, forming a company there, and then having to file in New Jersey where you're doing business. You know, unless you're a tech startup and you're raising capital through angel investors and all that kind of stuff. And you may go public someday, maybe Delaware makes sense, but even then you can merge the entity into a, into a larger corporation and, and deal with it. Then just adds a layer of complexity and filing and things like that. So you form your entity in this case, an LLC, you get your certificate online, by the way, no more gold seals. There's no more certificates. It's all online these days. So if you ever go to a bank and they want your certificate with a gold seal, Ask for the manager because they, the person's talking, he doesn't know what they're talking about. So that's the first part. Then start putting in the processes in the under which you're going to do business, how you're going to run your business. It might have been in your business plan, but probably not. Customer agreement. If you have a partner, a partnership agreement. Um, vendors, uh, employees, and start mapping that out and use those processes going forward as you grow. Because you may not have employees to start, so you don't need an employee handbook. And you may not have a partner, so you don't need a partnership agreement, but you're definitely doing business with people. So if you're working in commerce, you're doing business, have a contract. Uh, you may want to at some point, and I'm not an intellectual property attorney. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know if Andrew's ever had him on the show. I'm sure at some point he will, but you may want to file a trademark on your name to protect the name if you think it's a unique name, um, especially if it man matches with your domain and so forth. Then you may want to work on your website, your logos, the look and feel of your business, because if, especially if it's a service, that may be your business. Then you work on your product and all that kind of stuff. So now you kind of have these processes in place, and that's why you got to go to a lawyer early on. So they can help you create these templates to properly do business um, going forward. Um, I will say this, by the way, um, if anybody wants 
I, you know, I offer 20 minute, 20, 30 minute free consultations. You can sign up through my website, buyandhackerlaw.com. And I do have a four part template that would at least get you started with a business plan. Not the, not the end of it, but at least if you want to simplify things, you could do it. You could do it that way. Um, so that's what I got to say about that, Andrew. Mitch, that's perfect. Really great. Um, you know, insights, um, things that are important for a business or even for me, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff, but you don't always recall it at the time that you should. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm guilty of, um, few infractions every so often as well, but, uh, but this, this is, this has been really great. And one thing I really liked about, you know, some things that you said that I want to highlight are that you don't tell people you could do everything. You're like, right. this is what I do. Pick a lane, and, you know, and, you know, paying for your expert, your 30 years expertise in contracts is great, but we shouldn't pay the 30 year expertise price in contracts for employment law help from you, because that's not the 30 years of experience you have. So you have right. to go to the people, you know, for it to be worthwhile, you have to go to the people with, you know, you got to go to the intellectual property attorney, because if you're going to pay that you need to have someone who ha brings that full level experience and even with consultants, coaches, yeah. you know, you, you need not everyone, not every attorneys for every situation or every person, you know, just like not every coach or consultant is the right one for your situation. What's their background? What, yeah. what's their experience? And so. I think if you're interviewing a local attorney, you really want to, you know, get them to, I'm not saying be honest, but you know, to really know what their skill set is. Cause I do take over situations where, well, this was my friend. They tried to help me. And then it got to the point where they said, look, this is really over my head and they shouldn't have been doing it to begin with, you know? Um, and then I got to fix things and get them back on track. And they, you know, they spent some money and time and wasted time. So you really want to know your skill set and what, you know, what the, the person is you're working with. I don't even as a coach, right. You have certain things you're very good at and other things that you, you don't do. You'll send them to somebody else. So, a lot of right. that is, you know, picking your lane, I think, is very important. So, no, that's great. So, thanks again for having you. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to, you know, connect further and, you know, look forward to um, great things. And um, definitely let me know when your book's ready. Um, I will. So you can check it out and let, let other people. If anybody wants to get on my mailing list, you can do it through the website, and then they'll get an announcement when the book's available. Okay. So, yeah, you can do it through there. Um, you've got Mitch's LinkedIn right in the chat. Um, from there, they can go straight to your website and, um, you know, get access to the reports. Uh, check out Mitch's um, podcast. It's really good. Not just because I was a guest once, but uh, <laughs> you know, definitely he has great people on there all the time. Yeah, it's called The Accidental Entrepreneur you had mentioned. It is available on, you know, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, all the made major directories. And uh, I think, yeah, we have a YouTube channel, too, so the videos are up. I don't know if we did video, though, when... You and I did. I don't remember how far back my videos go, but <laughs> you, we might have done a video. Yeah, if it was well, during the pandemic, it's on video. Yeah, I think we. I think we did. And, yeah, you so know, you, you did. Yeah, you can. But you continue to evolve. You know, up until Christmas, end of the year last year, I wasn't on Streamyard. So yeah, you go. Now, now my show is even better produced. So thanks again for having for participating, and you know, as we close out. You know, once again, Leadership Live at 8.05, talking small business every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Um, had a great time talking to Mitch. We'll have someone great next week as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
in business, you have to remember that the more you know, the faster you grow. Thank you for listening to Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.